How do I fit into the grand narrative of what God is doing in human history? It's a big topic, but it's one we're going to tackle next on the Monday Christian Podcast. Listening to the Monday Christian Podcast, the program dedicated to helping you put into action the truth of God's Word that you hear on Sunday to your everyday life on Monday. And now, here's your host, Ezra Beyer. Well, hey there, welcome aboard the Monday Christian Podcast once again. And I'm glad you've taken some time again if you haven't already. Take a moment to subscribe to us on iTunes or Google Play, wherever you get your podcast. And hey, even leave a positive review. That would help a lot. My guest on the podcast this week is Dr. Ed Smither of Columbia International University. And as some of you know, I'm in the process of working on my PhD from Columbia International, and it's in um, multicultural studies. And uh Dr. Smither has been so helpful through this process, and he's written numerous books. I think it's uh, close to about nine that he's contributed, nine or ten that he's contributed or written himself. Um, And he has just a wealth of knowledge in this whole field of missiology, and that's kind of my passion right now. And his big thing is, is that God is a missionary God, and that God is a sending God. And that we as Christians are to be salt and light to all the world. And, and he deals with just the, the nuances of, of how we do that. And he, here's one of the reasons I wanted to bring him on. Obviously, in the last couple of weeks, we've had, whether it's in, in the States in particular, we've had many racial tensions. Um, but then also COVID-19 hit, and there's just so many questions that come with that. And I guess here's what's bothering me is you get on social media sometimes, and it's just all this vitriol. And even among Christians, like you have these Christians taking shots at one another, shaming other Christians. And if you don't believe this, then then uh, you must not be a Christian. And, and if your ch- church doesn't teach this, then don't you ever go there. And it's just all this noise, really. And, and there, there's a point to some of it, but I think in all of this, sometimes we've lost the art of just being kind and, and nice to each other. Um, and, and I think one of the big things that has contributed to all this just jabbing at one another is that we don't have the ability to have long-form conversations. And I'm thankful for, I think the podcast industry has really helped this a lot. Um, I think the news in general is, is very difficult for me to watch at all, whether it's, well, I won't name all the networks, but it's just... It's just hard for me to watch because everything is about, okay, let me get this 20-second answer out of you, and if you don't give it to me, I'm going to cut you off. And it's just, it's not helpful. But I think long-form conversations where we can step back and say, okay, hey, where are we at in this time in history right now? How does that fit into the grand scheme of what God's doing in human history? And what should I focus my energies on? I mean, honestly, that's not a very, for lack of a better term, that's not a very sexy topic. That's not something that you just say, oh, well, yeah, that's what I, you know, it's so much easier to just do this clickbait stuff. Oh, you know, this person destroys this. No, th- that that type of thinking, though, I think doesn't help us long term. Dr. Ed Smither, what he has to share on this program, um, in this interview, I, I think it's just so, so helpful. 
His latest book, Christian Mission, A Concise Global History, walks you through just the, the basics of how Christians and history have, have been missional in sending Christians and have impacted society. And then he takes those lessons and says, hey, here's how you can impact society in your culture today. And so we get into all kinds of different topics from racism uh, to the, the, the ways that uh, culture has shifted in the last hundred years. Um, what are the big challenges we're going to be facing in future generations? We get into a lot of different things. And I think this is going to be very helpful for you. Hopefully it's relaxing. And if your blood pressure is boiling right now with frustration about what's going on in the world, hopefully this next hour can be uh, a comfort to you. Let's go ahead and jump into the podcast. Dr. Smithers, thank you so much for taking some time, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's my pleasure. All right. I always do this at the beginning of every uh, every episode because everyone's story is so unique. How did you first come to faith in Christ? What did sure. What's your spiritual journey looked like along the way? Yeah, sure. Um, I When I was about uh, eight years old, going into third grade, my dad fulfilled a a lifelong dream of building a house for uh, uh, you know my my brothers and I, two brothers, and and his, our, our family, family of five. And as we were building the house, uh, the actual the guy that was laying the driveway for us uh, actually lived in the neighborhood, and um, he was going to a quarry every day and getting in a big truck. And and so my brothers and I actually got to ride with them, which was really cool. And so we're just riding back and forth, and uh, and he said, do you guys go to church anywhere? And we said, no. And he said, would you like to go to church? And I said, well, why not? And uh, I, this was back in the early, uh, late 70s, early 80s, and there were a lot of churches had buses yeah. uh, that they sent around, and so I used to catch the school bus to school, and and then I started catching the church bus to church, and so one thing led to another. I began to regularly attend this church in our community. My my, my folks didn't, and my brothers ultimately didn't. Um, but about uh, about my t- when I was ten in fifth grade, um, there was a Christian college student filling in in our Sunday school class, and he said, "You know, I I don't know what you've been doing in class here, but." Um, but why don't we just go over the basics of what it means to follow Christ? And so he took the whole Sunday school class and went through the gospel and said, you know, I'm going to pray. And and if you have questions, if you're not certain you have a relationship with God, stay after. And and I didn't. So I, along with actually four others, um, stayed after class. And, and that's when I clearly heard the gospel and put my faith uh, in Christ. And so, so for me, it's very simple. A neighbor invited us to church. And someone in that church presented the gospel clearly and gave an opportunity to receive Christ. And um, and I was blessed along the way with some, you know, some really great youth pastors and coaches who were believers. Um, but I would say I probably took off more in my faith when I went to college um, because I was around really committed Christians my own age for the first time. And so uh, so that was my start. You know, we're going to get into some of this, because you, you taught, I believe, at Liberty University for, was it six years? Is that right? I did. Okay. And then 2012, I'm getting these dates wrong, correct me, but at 2012, you moved to Columbia International University, mm-hmm. where you work now, uh, to the, in the present. Um, when you look at, and you work 
uh, with a number of people on the graduate side of things. But when you look at people starting their undergraduate programs, coming out of high school, um, what would you say to a person right now who's kind of on that brink? Maybe they're 17, 16, 17, 18, and they're thinking about going to a Christian college, university. Um, what's your thought process? How, how do you talk to people like that and when they're weighing those options in their mind? Well, we, we really, we would love to have everyone come to Columbia International University, but the question that we ask people is, what do you believe God's calling you to do? What do you see yourself doing with your life? That's a big question. A lot of people don't know that. So we say, what general direction do you think you're going in? And, and then we try to, uh, we prayerfully, um, uh, try to have something that can help people to get to that point of connecting with their calling in God's mission and God's plan, whatever that is, whether that's a, a teaching or business or, you know, ministry calling. Um, and so really a, a college education is a tool, it's a training exercise to to equip people to, to serve wherever they will in, in God's calling. And for some people, um, uh, you know, uh, we may not have the program that they need, um, but um, but I do think, um, you know, college, the university years, especially ages 18 to 22, are very formative. Um, some students, I, I went to a large state university, to NC State University. I was really challenged in my faith there, but that caused me to look into the Bible and to dig deeper. And ultimately, I grew stronger in my faith. Um, but uh, but it, it, it is a formative time. It's a transitional time. Um, our prayer is that every student coming to us will be involved in a local church and growing and will be discipled. We have discipleship strategies going alongside the uh, the academic time. But it, but it's, it's, it's an exciting time. It's a time of self-discovery um, and growing um, spiritually, academically, and toward uh, connecting with, with their calling. When I was looking at various uh, PhD programs to pursue— um, Quite honestly, the reason I chose Columbia International was not only because of their program, but I wanted to see uh, um, what the professors were like. What did you emphasize? And I think one of the things that struck me with you is is you're not just an academic, and sometimes if people are looking at it from an outside perspective, you can tend to sometimes think of Christian academics as kind of being stuffed away in an ivory tower and, and a lot of times not real relational to the outside world, uh, which couldn't be farther from the truth from from uh, what you do or believe. And I appreciate so much. You've lived a number, I feel like a, a number of different places, and you've had exposure um, to places all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, share a little bit about that and how that's transformed your thinking. Oh, sure. All theology, mission thinking, ultimately develops what I would call in the street. It doesn't uh, develop in an ivory tower or in a library or in a classroom, but um, but we're, we're talking about a lived theology, a lived missiology. So many of the, the the academic projects that I've worked on have started from questions that have come from right in, in the field of ministry. Uh, now I tend to emphasize history, and so I look for wisdom for for history but but a lot of that's driving a lot of driving that is 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 how do we approach mission today and what are the big mission challenges and questions um, today so so i do I, I love serving on a team of, of scholars and activists who you know are still very much love ministry and love sharing the gospel and love helping the church to grow and to develop and um 
And our study part is our reflection on that a bit more. So, okay, um, let's get right into this because I mm-hmm. you've obviously I don't even want to ask you how many hours you put into research for this book because that's, that's probably <laughs> more than you can count. Um, but you divided this book up into uh, I think it's really six major sections. Mm-hmm. And um, I love the title. It's funny when when I picked it up and I got it home. My wife looked at it. She said, "Christian mission: A concise global history." That's a huge topic. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. and, and but here's why I think it really relates. We go on the news today, right? And we see things, whether it's uh, racial headlines, uh, COVID nineteen, things like this. And it's really easy sometimes, I think, to just say, okay, man, we're going through all these problems. The world's a terrible place. And not really put into perspective what we're going through today and to what's happened throughout the centuries uh, mm-hmm. of Christendom. So I want to just keep this really practical. You write in your book, and this is a common phrase, God is a missionary God. All mm-hmm. right. What do you mean by that? Yeah, well, uh, mission means sending. Uh, the way I define mission is crossing boundaries, particularly from the people of faith to the not yet people of faith. And so uh, we imitate God in that. And that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden where um, Adam and Eve fell, they ate of the apple, and, uh, and who did God send um, to clean up the mess? Genesis 3, verse 8, uh, God says to Adam, where are you? It's a seeking question. God knew where he was, but, but God sent himself. God went on mission. Um, and so we see God engaging the lost, engaging the broken. And, so, and it's a pattern that continues. And so God sets apart Abraham. Uh, God sets apart Moses and the prophets, um, um, God sets, ultimately, God sends his son. God is ascending God, um, constantly moving toward the lost and the broken for the purposes of redemption. And that's, uh, to me, that's really the organizing theme of all of Scripture, is the mission of God. Um, and certainly we see that in God bringing a people, Israel, but, but blessing Israel to be a light to the nations uh, in the fullness of time, God sending His Son, God sending the Church, um, and so um, so God God crosses boundaries between faith and non-faith, and then um, and Jesus said, "As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you." So we 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 just simply take that initiative and follow God in that. So you start, as I mentioned earlier, six major divisions here, just looking at the content section of, of your book. And I'll just read them off real quick. Uh, you write Mission in the Early Church, uh, it's about 100 to, to 750, Mission in the Medieval Church, Mission in the Early Modern Church, the Great Century of Christian Mission, the Global Century of Christian Mission, uh, 1900 to 2000, and then Mission from the Majority World, a uh, 21st Century. So that takes us back, you know, 2,000 plus years. Um as you and one of the things I like, so th- this, if you're new to this and you haven't read really much um, books of this perspective, the reason I encourage you to pick up this book is it's very straightforward. It's very it's 190 pages or so. It's not going to take you that long to get through it. And you see all these different characters. As I was going through, you see characters from Hudson Taylor to, to the, just go on and on. And I'm curious, your process, as you were going through and you were writing this and you were going into all these different time frames, I'm kind of curious what your thought would be 
Like, was there any particular period in time where you thought, um, if I could take my iPhone and the modern conveniences and go back in that period of time, um, which which point would you like to go back to? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, my, my background is actually, um, I, I did initial doctoral work in patristics or the early church, and so one of my joys has been kind of the intersection between early Christianity and, and mission, uh, an area that's not always studied together. Um, but I have most often enjoyed um, looking at the first five, 700 years of the church. Um, I did. I worked on another book just called Mission in the Early Church. And so that chapter, that, that first chapter you're looking for is a very condensed chapter of, of another book that's a couple of hundred pages. Um, but I think, I think that's the period that I gravitate toward the most. Um, one of the things that I, that I like about it, and I think that's instructive for us today, is that the vocation of missionary, it really wasn't a known thing. We don't talk about this famous missionary or that famous missionary. Uh, do we see the work of mission happening all over the place? Really amazing things. Um, um, and I'm hesitant to say things like every Christian is a missionary. Um, but I think in the early church, especially like in Roman Africa, where the gospel was spreading so quickly, um, many uh, soldiers, business people, merchants, others um, who weren't in full-time vocational missionary, they were the missionaries. And so we see a lot of the work of mission being done, certainly by church leaders like bishops and others like monks. Um, but let's say someone like Justin Martyr, who was a philosophy teacher— um, that's what he would have said his job was, but he was very much involved in the work of, of, of proclaiming Christ to, to non-believers. Um, I think the mistake in the, in the modern church is we think that uh, the work of ministry is done by religious professor, professionals, and I think we need ordained ministers and pastors and full-time missionaries, but that doesn't mean that, um, that the average everyday Christian doesn't have can't be a part of God's mission. And well, that, I think that, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's really the question I was going to lead into, because when you think of Western Church, and we, we use that, I've, I've heard many pastors use that exact line that you just said, that, that, yeah, we need to, you know, we want to equip the saints, right, to do the work of the ministry. Mm-hmm. But so often, even regardless of how much we say it, um, mm-hmm our worship tends to sometimes come back to just like the Sunday experience or, or just focusing on, okay, let's, if we can get people to this one event a week. And it's really mm-hmm. difficult, I think, sometimes to to help our audiences and maybe sometimes to convince ourselves mm-hmm. as pastors that this really is, this should be the mm-hmm. central point, that that the people in our congregation who are going out into everyday field of, of whether it's nursing or, or mm-hmm. construction work, mm-hmm. that they are on the front lines of what's going on. Yeah. How, do, how do you make that shift? Um, because sure. you say in the back, you know, the, previously it wasn't really, you didn't really say that as much, you just did it. How, how do we make that shift, especially in Western culture? Yeah, well, a friend of mine is a church, he, he, he actually models what he's talking about. He's a, he's a church planting consultant and coach, but he's also involved in business, so he's bivocational, and um, and he has a very a very complicated approach to this. He said, "My prayer is that um, that everyone in our church plants would 
um, would get to know their neighbors and their coworkers and share the gospel with them. <laughs> and so if, if, if every believer and, and I think like right now during the COVID period, um, um, we are the church sent right now. We are the scattered church. We are not gathering, uh, but we've not ceased to be the church. And even in, um, you know, in the neighborhood that I live in, uh, when, when we suddenly went on lockdown, there were people that I don't know if they'd ever exercised or been out of their house, but suddenly everyone, when they were told to stay home, started walking and moving and, and there were great opportunities. And even some neighbors that from our mailbox to their mailbox, we could safely talk and ask questions and connect. And, um, and so that's what one author that I like talked about, um, having a faithful presence in your community. Um, and so when I think about the street that I live on, uh, the in the neighborhood that I live in, um, as I walk and move about our neighborhood, praying around that neighborhood and, and being open and willing and taking the initiative to, to open my mouth and get to know people and ask questions. Um, you know, I, I, I think that's a very tangible way. And, um, and in terms of in the, in the workplace, um, I'm, I don't think we should, um, you know, if I work for a business, I don't think I should take time on the clock to start a Bible study or, uh, number one, we should do excellent work and have a great testimony. But I noticed in the workplace, people talk about college basketball and football and, they talk about the, you know, their fishing trip. They, they, they talk about things that are important to them. And so, and, and certainly, you know, even in a workplace, you, you can have coffee with people and have lunch with people and, and naturally engage people in their lives. And so, I mean, really it's, it's, it's about building relationships and, and asking questions and, and, uh, but I think also, um, taking the time to pray with people, uh, people, you know, people now are, you know, a lot of people, one of my neighbors just lost a job and, um, and, and, and people are open to say, Hey, could, could I pray for you or, or, or to let them know we are praying for them. And so, um, so those are the, I, I jokingly said it's complicated, but it, it's really quite a simple thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. When you, when you go back again, we talked about a time frame to go to, but when you look about in all these different, um, whether it's authors, writers, people in the history, mission, you know, mission focused, focused people in, in history, um, is there any name, name or two that just kind of comes to mind? You're like, man, this was a person that really modeled exactly what you're just talking about. Um, well, um, that's a good question. I think um, uh, I, I think I would probably go in in the first uh, in the third century. Uh, I was going to say the first three centuries. Origin of Alexandria, who was a theologian, but he was also a teacher. He taught philosophy. He taught math and logic. And um, Origin was was probably one of the smartest men in the world of his day. Um, uh, but he led his students to Christ, students that came and, and studied at his school. He he used his mind and leveraged all of that. Uh, so I I would I would love to accompany him. Um, but I think um, if, if I could just add that when I think about the early church, I'm really inspired by um, I think about the 
the monks up from Iona. Mm. And, um, I, they came from Northern Ireland. They moved over to what is now Scotland. Um, and they were, um, they engaged with the art of the, the Pictish people of Scotland and, and, uh, presented the gospel through artistic forms and really, really engaged the local culture. And so I find that I'm not, not so much of an artist myself. I do music, but, um, but, um, but engaging with the culture that, that we're trying to reach. So when you go back, uh, you're, let's just start with the first chapter, because I think this is fascinating. Mission in the, in the early church, and that you cover about 100 to, to 750. Um, when you look at this time frame, in some ways a tumultuous time frame, um, mm-hmm, it, sure. and what was church like in that culture? What what did that? I know that that would vary from congregation to congregation, but but especially the the early years, like what was that like? If we were to just go and sit in one of those circles, what sure, was that experience sure. like? Well, I think we have to draw a timeline from let's say uh, from let's say the time period of the Book of Acts, where we see the church being born, um, until about the year uh, about three twelve, when the Emperor Constantine gave peace to the church. Um, from about you know the mid the mid first century to the to the early fourth century, um, Christians were gathering largely in homes, um, and sometimes even like almost like the apartment blocks uh, as well. Um, and so these were more. Um, it would usually be someone from uh, the community that had a larger home that could that could open that home. Um, there was usually a meal shared with that. Um, but uh, but Justin Martyr tells us early on that when they gathered, they um, they read the scriptures, they read uh, the gospels, they read um, there was prayer, um, they observed the Lord's Supper, um, and uh, and you and, and like I said, usually there was a meal there. There was there was singing and things like that. There was a, a liturgy that develops of 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 prayers of scripture of the Lord's Supper. Um, uh, that does become, um, you know, there's diversity around the world, but that does become a, a fairly common pattern. Um, once we, once more freedom comes within the Roman Empire, um, then built church buildings are constructed. Uh, but we still see this pattern of, 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 of in a worship gathering, a liturgy of, of, of prayers, of preaching. Um, the Lord's Supper, a, a, a pretty simple structure, but but a lot of what we see enduring even until today. Yeah, during uh, you mentioned obviously you mentioned Constantine, so I was I was curious when you started down the path. I, I thought you were going to bring him up. What pre his time, post his time, you know, within that seven hundred that that or six hundred year uh, time frame, um, kind of has an issue, you know, question of, I guess, the relationship between church and politics. Was that, was that a good thing for the church um, <laughs> when he came about, or did that hinder the growth? What? Uh, yes. Um, you know, the, I think uh, one of, the, one of the, the tasks of history is to take an honest look at the past, an accurate look at the past, um, and so growing up in North America, my lenses are that government and church should be separate. Um, now, obviously, we want to be salt light. We want to influence. Uh, but the church shouldn't tell the government what to do. The government shouldn't tell the church what to do. Um, is it a good thing for a political leader to believe the gospel and become a believer? Yes. Um, 
but what about the union that that union of church and state? Um, it's going to develop. Uh, I mean, early on, there are there are some good things for the church. Uh, often, when I with my students, we look at the short term benefits. Um, and so, for instance, uh, Constantine did pass laws. Um, he closed the markets on Sunday to to make Sunday worship more um, available to people. Um, he did some good things to defend children, and he reformed slave laws and things like that. Um, but but over time, whenever the church in the state, whenever the church gets political, I mean, we, we can't really get away from that because people are political. But whenever there's the, whenever you have the uh, the concerns of the state and the church together, it, it, it's going to be a problem. There needs to be accountability, um, and I think even God sets apart. Um, I mean, even right now, we in our churches, we have been told by our governments that, um, you know, we can have this many people gathering. And, 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 and I think that's, I think that's good. Government governs. Okay. Uh, but the, um, and that is for the common good, but for, uh, I mean, let's say for the government to tell a pastor what to preach in his sermon, um, that's, that's not going to be so good. And so, um, so it, it's a tricky kind of thing. The reality is that through most of church history, there has been a state church. Um, and even with the Protestant reformers, Calvin, Luther, Zwingli, they didn't see, I mean, the Lutheran church will become the state church of Germany and Denmark and other places. Um, they saw that paradigm together. It's not until really the Anabaptist and then later in the post-colonial period that we start to see more of a free church mentality um, as well. So it's um, it's complicated. It, it is complicated, and and I don't want to get too far off track here, but I think this is really relevant to what we're going through right now, especially in, in American culture. I grew up in Canada. Um, you mentioned Anabaptists, had some Anabaptist roots. Um, pacifism was was a big thing among numbers mm-hmm. on, on, uh, in my family. Um, not going to war, peacekeeping, things like that. Um, now, I've shifted in my views there. Um, and so I wouldn't necessarily hold to, to everything that I, I grew up with, you know, some of that thinking, but, um, this relationship between, I guess here's kind of the heart of my question is I think sometimes in, in America in particular, I think sometimes we can uh, see ourselves as kind of an extension as God's chosen people where right? we're, we're kind of, you know, and I think whether we say that or not, sometimes it comes across that way where when issues start happening to America, then, okay, that's a problem. If it's happening all over the world, well, that's bad, but it's not the end of the, the end of the world. Um, Mm -hmm. within, within American, uh, the American context right now, um, how should we view our position of what, and speak to Canada as well, because that's, that's kind of who we're talking to Canada and the U S here in particular. Um, how should we view our position of what God's doing in the grand scheme of, of his grand grand mission. Sure, I mean, um, yeah, I think uh, you know, one uh, a friend of mine who's an Old Testament professor said sometimes we in America we like to think ourselves as as sort of is the new Israel, but maybe we're the new Assyrians and the Babylonians no. <laughs> or the Moabites. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, and. Um, I, I think that, um, and I think that with any form of 
um, Christian nationalism. Um, uh, we certainly saw that in the 20th century with the Third Reich and, and Hitler and that, mm-hmm. and, and even Christians that, that saw that. That's, that's going to be problematic. Um, I think the thing is that one, one of the things I really love about the role of the church is this church is prophetic. Mm. And we, we announce the kingdom of God. Our kingdom is not of this world. Um, Augustine said, we are citizens of the earthly city to be salt and light as we testify to the reality of the heavenly city. We're, we're engaged. I mean, we, we, we vote, we serve um, in our communities. Um, but the scriptures convict. And, and when we see uh, in our nation, when we see injustices, as we have, um, part, we announce the kingdom of God and the good news, but part of announcing the kingdom is denouncing injustice. Mm. We have a whole set of our scriptures called the prophets, and if we sit down and read Amos or Hosea or Isaiah, we, there, there, there's real help for how to uh, also have a prophetic voice and to denounce and to say this is not... Um, this is not the gospel according to Jesus. And so, um, and I've seen that pattern through history um, where where church leaders have spoken to power uh, for the sake of the gospel. And, and that is part of our witness. So, it's such um, a tricky, so I think, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's such a tricky thing. I mean, I love uh, the church that I attend now, our pastor, he just, you know, address some of the issues that we're facing in society. I love the way he did that this morning. Um, you, you're right. I'll just, let's keep going here. Page 40. These early Christian missionaries uh, were anonymous, I like this, the way you put this, anonymous, mm-hmm. bivocational, Christ, uh, church-centered, cross-cultural labors uh, for the gospel. I, I like that imagery a lot. As, as we move kind of out of the, the, the first section, and then you move into more uh, 750 to 1500, or the medieval church era, what were the, was there anything surprising to you? Again, you've dealt with this a lot over the years, but as you've studied the medieval church, was there anything particularly surprising to you that's, that's kind of jumped out? And maybe anything convicting specifically from that time period that you think, ah, that could really apply to us today? Yeah, well, I think um, we mistakenly call the medieval period the Dark Ages. Uh, we think that um, uh, that I, I think sometimes we think that after the Apostle Paul, that uh, the kingdom of God, the lights were shut out on the kingdom of God until Martin Luther or you know until the Protestant Reformation. Um, but what I'm um, uh, what I'm impressed with, let's say, in the history of the English Church. Um, someone like John Wycliffe, who in the 14th century was translating the Bible into um, into the vernacular English, and so um, and then we're going to see, you know, in Moravia, uh, Jan Hus or in Bohemia rather, Jan Hus doing the same. Um, and so I think these um, biblical, evangelical, reformational type of things were, were going on before. Uh, Luther in the 16th century. In fact, we see we see reformational type of things going on even within the Roman Catholic Church. And so, um, you, you, let's just say, for example, of uh, of English church history, going way back, there has been a real love for the English language and culture, um, and um, 
you know, even some of the early books, they weren't written in Latin, they were translated into the English vernacular. Um, and so um, that incarnational principle of the gospel being at home in every culture and the Bible in every language, we, we do see in the, in the medieval period, um, in, in certain places, England and other places where, uh, where that's happening, and including the translation of scripture, um, you know, Luther translated the, the Bible into colloquial German in 1521-22, uh, and I think there were 12 Catholic attempts at that before Luther. And so he wasn't the first. Uh, what we see is the rumblings and the desire for people to, to pray to God in their language. Um, and so the, the Anglican Book of Common Prayer was revolutionary in the 16th century because it gave... Uh, people in England and the English-speaking world, a vernacular guide to prayer and worship. Uh, and, we, and we see, but, but in the medieval period before that, we see um, those tendencies and desires. I like the way you put that with the Dark Ages. Actually, I don't remember hearing that it put that way quite before, that, that we maybe shouldn't use that type of vernacular, because um, you know, I wonder, and as, as was listening to you share that, do we as Christians sometimes fear Dark Ages too much? Um, and kind of think, because I, I wonder if sometimes that fear that we have in America um, of, okay, so what if the political spectrum, wherever you sit on that, if that doesn't go the way that I want and, and you know, man culture is just, it seems like it's going against Christian values, um, what's going to happen? Number one, I guess, where where does this fear come from? How do we deal with that fear? If you're talking to someone who's listening, watching this, and they're saying they genuinely are afraid for I've heard this numbers of times. I'm afraid. I'm afraid for my kids. Like, what's it, the world going to look like twenty, thirty years from now? Speak to that. Well, I think every generation has felt that way, um, where we we fear, and and I, I fear that. You know, I'm when I think I've got teenage kids, and I think about uh, the challenges that they're facing, and 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 so forth. Um. But I, but I think that, you know, when we pray in the Lord's Prayer, Lord, your kingdom come and your will be done, and to deliver us from evil, deliver us from the hour of trial, those are hopeful prayers. Uh, when we pray through the Psalms, uh, these are some dark times where, where people are truly dealing with, with um, uh, being downcast of heart, being depressed, being troubled. Uh, um, but there is hope in that because um, because of who God is and because of the kingdom that um, uh, you know Christ will reign and, and 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 be victorious. We we live in the now and the not yet of that, and so even our Lord's prayer reflects the reality of that. But our hope to pray boldly, um, Lord, your kingdom come and your will be done. So. Um, I like what uh, Walter Brueggemann uh, said a couple of years ago. He said, "We, the scriptures tell us that perfect love casts out fear, but we're allowing perfect fear to cast out love." Oh, that's good. And 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 especially when we think about engaging others, um, engaging immigrants, engaging refugees, engaging Muslim neighbors, engaging, you know, for me, my African American neighbors, embracing others. Um, we come with um, with spirit-filled love and um, and love where we imitate Christ, where we imitate um, God. And so, um, but as far as um, you know, on one hand, our hope is not in this world. 
Um, so if we if we lose all of our retirement savings with the market crashing, well, um, our 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 hope is not here anyway in this present world. Um, but I will go back to Augustine. He said there are two cities. There's the there's the earthly city where we're sojourners and pilgrims, and we and we are pilgrims longing for the heavenly city. And so we we have to keep a view that future hope in mind that that does have to to drive us. Several years ago, I was taking a course through a Christian university and. Um, and uh, I mean, I was getting a little frustrated. I think the course—I can't even remember the course's name. I think it was something like um, modern evangelism, not techniques, but something, something like that. All the course material, though, um, all the books, everything was—I um, think the latest book was like 2000. Everything was like pre that. And I'm thinking to myself, the the irony of this. And and it seems like in in church history. No, I don't want to go that far. Church, but maybe modern church history sometimes. Um, Christians can sometimes have the tendency to um, be a couple steps behind. Where mm-hmm. so so here's what I'm I'm curious about. As you look at the church in the next twenty years, let's say, um, I, I'm thinking of a lot of different things that we may have to wrestle with. With just <laughs> it might might sound crazy, but just you think of the advancements in technology that we're going to have over the next number of years that are severely going to uh, or going to eliminate uh, travel or not eliminate travel, but reduce travel. Um, just the complications with say uh, the robotics industry of, of eliminating some jobs, mm-hmm. things like that. And just mm-hmm. unique challenges that we've never quite experienced in history. Um, is there a challenge or two that you see coming down the pike and you're saying, Hey, um, we might not quite be ready for this, but here's some hope from the past that can really um, get us prepared and started in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, one thing I will say regarding technology in the church right now is um, I think that there is a fear that with, with so many churches streaming um, and doing a good job with that, that, that um, no one's going to return back to a gathered church um, because it's just convenient and, um, but I'm actually in in my relationships and my communications and and even what I see posted um, on social media. I mean, we are embodied people. We, you know, we have bodies, and and the church is um, well. On one hand, the church is missionary. We are sent, and we're sent to our neighbors and our mailboxes, and even in a time of pandemic. Um, but uh, but we yearn to gather together. We learn we yearn to have fellowship, and so um, and I and I think I think even the technological buildup. Um, when I look at the students that that this past semester that that were residential students that we had to shift everything to online, there was a time of mourning. No one was saying, "Oh, this is great. This is easy. I can do school from my pajamas." They 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 yearn for. Uh, face-to-face relationships, and uh, um, and so in lots of ways, um, I, I think the hope of the church moving forward uh, might be even. And, and maybe this is my own bias here because I'm so behind on technology. Um, my kids laugh at me because <laughs> you know I, I I just I just updated uh, I just updated my phone. It's been about four years, and and they were pretty happy to for me to. <laughs> 
do that. But so um, you, you now have a flip phone, huh? Oh no! Well, <laughs> you know what? That was the thing. That was the thing. I, I was I was going to do that. No, I I do have an iPhone. I had an older one. Yeah. Uh, it was limited because the mem- memory was so small that only yeah. I could only I couldn't do all the apps you know I wanted, and so it helped me to minimize. Yeah. Um, but but I think I, I think that we're um, I think that we're moving. My hunch is that we're moving more low tech with church because people people for their own mental health, their own emotional health, people need people. And, um, and so, um, so that, that's kind of my thought uh, on that with that. But I, I think, um, you know, when I look at, at, at the future, I think, um, you know, I I think my own opinion is that the, that the whole meaning of the family, um, and I think, um, um, sexual identity and, and gender identity. Um, I mean, I think on one hand, um, I mean, I, I hold to a historic Christian view of male and female and, and marriage is man and a woman. So I, I don't agree with, um, you know, with the law of our country on that now. On the other hand, uh, for people that there, there's so much um, sexual orient confusion about sexual identity um, I think uh, in our culture that we do as the church, um, we we do have to have a winsome, loving engagement with people that are struggling with same-sex attraction, or 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 with transgender issues. And so, our church last year we had a a weekend seminar, and it was on sexual identity, and that that to me. Um, for us to be the church that is on mission, where we're um, where we're sharing good news and bad news, we we have to tell sinners they're sinners, um, all kinds of sinners. And even when we look at the at, at at the end of Romans one, where 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 we look at at sexual deviance, it's in the middle of a whole bunch of other sin. And yeah. so yeah. you know we, we need to we need to be clear that sin is sin, um, but but yet at the same time we um, pride and racism is just as sinful as, um, as sexual immorality. And so I think for the church to be a welcoming place that, that proclaims the historic gospel and the historic teaching of the church, um, but, but is also a welcoming place for, uh, for those that are, um, that are seeking. Yeah, I think when you hear there's there's a lot of confusion and, and mixed messages and really just nasty comments coming from sadly Christians on social media right now surrounding everything that we're going through. And here's, I guess, one of my pet peeves that, that I, I think is genuine, but it's maybe it's a pet peeve. Um, I, I think that oftentimes we can localize our criticism of culture uh, to kind of fit what we know those around us will, um, for lack of a better term, amen us on. <laughs> and what I, what I mean by that, when I, when I lived in Toronto for, for five years, oftentimes, say like issues, um, say such as... Uh, same-sex marriage, you mentioned that one, um, abortion even, um, that mm-hmm. what often sometimes, like in, certainly some churches would talk about that, but there was a hesitancy to just kind of say, okay, you know, I don't quite, we kind of pull back from that. And 
you know, if I would talk to maybe my American friends, they would say, well, that's, that's crazy. You're just, you're just, you know, you're not, but on the flip side of things, um, the connection between, um, the church and politics, uh, maybe too much of an emphasis on nationalism, um, mm-hmm. things like that, then Canadians could speak very forcefully on all of a sudden, but then maybe, maybe, some, you know, those in the U.S. not as easily because they knew it would, might step on some toes of those in their congregation. Mm-hmm. And so I, Personally, I think during this time, I think we need bold leaders in the black community, uh, Hispanic, white community, uh, various to to call out the uh, the challenges that are um, that are in their own communities, and mm-hmm. and that that yeah. <laughs> rather than just land blasting and getting the quick and easy, yeah, that's that's right. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's just sure. something that I've been thinking about and processing mm-hmm. recently. Um, all right, let's get off of that. Let's just yeah, wrap. Let's yeah, uh, a couple things. Just a uh, few minutes left. Um, let's just take the the last several chapters, um, fifteen hundred to the, the present day. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, uh, especially like my history, I think of the seventeen hundreds, eighteen hundreds. Uh, I came out of the holiness tradition, and so camp meetings. You mentioned mentioned that that was mm-hmm. part of my history, yeah. and that shaped, mm-hmm. I think, um, some of my theology and, and things like that. Uh, what are the big lessons from that time period? Let's let's take say fifteen hundred up until um, uh, nineteen hundred, so right right in that mm-hmm. time frame. How did the church shift? What are some of the positives and negatives of that time period? Wow, that's huge. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I think um, I think that the um, yeah. I mean, you know, the first thing that comes to mind that we have to deal with in that period that that Christians are are responsible for is 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 the global slave trade. And so, when we look at when I say Christians, I'm talking about self-professed um, Spanish Catholic, Portuguese Catholic. Um, that were, um, you know, involved in, 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 in the global slave trade and the trafficking. And, and that really started when the Portuguese discovered Brazil, um, they, they discovered uh, sugar cane and they needed, um, manpower to work those fields. And so that, so, so we was, so slaves were trafficked. So 10 to 15 million Africans were sold. Um, and, uh, and, and I think we need to lament that because we still bear the fruit of broken families today because, um, because my ancestors trafficked um, African slaves. Um, I will can, say on, can, on, the, on the— Can on, I just pause yeah, you there? there cause, because I think this is really an important point you made, and I, I think we don't know how to process it. I don't always know how to process it. When we think of the injustices, uh, let's take white— Canadians, Americans, you know, British ancestry, French, you know, whatever, um, did to indigenous communities in both Canada and the U.S. Mm-hmm. when we came over. All right, mm-hmm. there's some I would say that that, and I've been guilty of this before. Hey, we need to just move on. All right, we need to move on. Um, that was hundreds of years ago, or you know, you know, and we just need to. And then as I've listened closely, I'm like, okay, man, there's actually. <laughs> some of those things that have carried over into the present day that have influenced the way that, you know, we interact and, and all that. So how, how do you, um, how has maybe, maybe a good question to ask is how has your thinking on that changed over the years? 
Well, I, I think I would say on one hand, um, I'm, I am responsible for my life, um, but, but I also, there, there is individual repentance, but there's also corporate repentance. Mm. And so um, the Southern Baptist Convention in the United States um, was started in 1845 because Northern Baptist and Southern Baptist split over the issue of slavery. Um, but it wasn't until all, sometime in the early 2000s that Southern Baptists historically, uh, corporately repented for that. And I've also, at the Lausanne 2010 uh, consultation, the Brazilian um, uh, delegation that was there corporately repented historically of, of their work of trafficking Africans in, into Brazil. Um, and so I do think that, that there is a sense of, of you know, b- because even, even though maybe I've, I've never owned a slave, um, the fact that, that, that there are generational sins and prejudices and things um, that, I gr- that, that, that are still inherited. And so um, Martin Luther's first thesis in the 95 Theses is that the whole life of the believer is a life of repentance. And as we get to know, oh, as as the Son of God, as as as, as the light of the world shines on us, uh, we do see um, our prejudices and our sinful hearts, um, and um, and that history has shaped us in in some of our views. And so, uh, you know, there is in there are inherited tendencies. Um, there are some things that you know, in terms of restitution, things that need to be made right. Um, and, and things that can be, that can be changed now. So, yeah, that's, yeah. Thank you for addressing that. I appreciate that. Um, you know, either picking up, I think in the last chapter, you mentioned something about this, um, that we're, we kind of are in a unique period. I think of Toronto, uh, you mentioned this in your mm-hmm. book as well, you know, now over a majority of, of the citizens there, um, are first, second gen immigrants. Uh, mm-hmm. it's just, just you know, an amazing thing. And you think back to numbers of years ago when Western society was sending missionaries over to, you know, various places, whether it was India, uh, you know, Africa, take your pick. Um, and, and now we're seeing the world really come to America, come to Canada, um, in a lot of, a lot of ways. And so, and I think as this happens, it's sometimes difficult for Western Christians to process this. Like, it's difficult to say, okay, so say, say for instance, when we moved to Toronto, that was very different from Cincinnati, Ohio, where I worked in an all-black inner-city church for several years. It was different than Virginia, certainly. Uh, worked in pretty much an all-white church. Um, and then you see all these different cultures that, that are in its, okay, I don't know Chinese. Mm-hmm. I don't know the customs that come with this. As speak to the person that's in a community, and that community—that uh, sorry, that community—is diversifying, and lots mm-hmm. of different people are coming in from different perspectives, backgrounds. Um, how do you handle mm-hmm. that, and how do you open yourself up to different ideas, but then also recognizing, hey, I'm, I'm a Christian, and these are, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes. People with whether it's a Buddhist, Hindu, you know, Muslim belief, um, I might not agree with that. But then, how do I interact? You have all these questions that kind of swirl around in our minds. Sure. How, how do we handle that? Yeah. Well, first of all, I think twenty uh, first century global migration and globalization period. Um, that's 
that's just a reality. The way that we do business, the way that governments interact, the way that we um, operate in digital spaces. Um, so I, I, I used to live in North Africa, and I watched the, the Arab Springtime happen over Facebook Live, over videos. It actually wasn't Facebook Live, but it was videos posted. So there was no suppression of the press there. Um, so we so we have this reality. And people are on the move, um, international students, international business people. Um, like you live in Can- or you've lived in Canada, what nearly half a million uh, Filipinos um, yeah. that have immigrated for their work. Um, and many of them believers. Um, a friend of mine is Filipino, has planted close to 10 churches in the greater Toronto area uh, because of that. And so is that, is that Nari Santos? Um, yeah, yeah. 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 Pastor Love him. He's, he's a great guy. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and so I, I, going back to the simple definition that mission is crossing boundaries between the people of faith and the not yet people of faith. We often think that the go is me boarding a plane and for a long time and crossing water and to another continent, um, and 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 that's a good thing to go there. There there's a deliberateness about that. But in global cities like Toronto or New York City, um, you know, even the, you know, Columbia, South Carolina, where I live, we are very blessed to have uh, many immigrants, both international students and business people, but also refugees and asylum seekers that that literally they have moved into our Jerusalem. And so the ends of the earth are really in our Jerusalem. Um, And that's that's wonderful. And it's a great opportunity. Yeah. And so, again, going back to the very simple way, um, there are neighbors and our coworkers, and um, I think a very simple thing to do is to ask questions. Um, you know, tell me about where you're from, and um, tell me about the food that you like. And yeah, food's um, a big one, isn't it? I, yeah, I have a friend of mine who works with uh, refugees in Minneapolis, a city that's been in the news a lot yeah. here lately, obviously. And uh, he works, uh, he just visits refugees in their apartments. And one of his questions is, show me how to make rice. <laughs> and, 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 and that's really good because he's actually postured himself as a learner. Um, but every culture has a way to, to make rice. And people are proud of their cultural products and their food. And so I think when we are... Uh, willing to learn about others and ask questions. A lot of, I, I think, a lot of effective evangelism is 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 asking questions, not necessarily leading questions to, to try right, to right. get people to. But 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 I like the mod. I like the metaphor of we're traders um, that we trade ideas, that we share ideas, and um, and 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 I, and I think that's a that's that's just a really important thing. Um, I, I finished working uh, on a new project lately. It's, it's a book called um, Mission as Hospitality. Um, maybe we could talk about that another time. But, yeah. but I think that, 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 our, that, that, that God is hospitable in his missionary nature. And the fact that we make room and we make space to listen and to learn and to invite people into our space, into our world, um, it really breaks down walls of fear, things that you've talked about. Um, I, you know, a place like Toronto, I was, I was there a few years ago. What a neat city. I went to little India. I went to Chinatown. Yeah. And, 
what what's just a wonderful place to learn and to explore the beauty of God's creation, of the diversity of cultures. Obviously, people are fallen, they're broken, they need the Lord. Um, but engaging in global mission is really fun. It's really, it's draining, but it, it's really fun to learn ab- about God's creative ways and diversity and all of those that will that will ultimately be a part of, of, of praising the Lord around the throne. I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago, kind of the evolution that's happened in my mind, just as this whole topic of racism and how, you know, over the last decade, 15 years, God has just, you know, changed me and continues to change me really in, in this area. One of the things that changed me was when I was um, living uh, well, in the east side of Toronto. There was some high-rise buildings there that were, uh, you know, had kind of some a lot of drug activity. It was, it was a rougher area. And uh, naively, I kind of assumed, okay, um, most of the people in here are they're down on their luck or they've, they've you know, they've... And then I got went in and kind of just went door to door, just got in, started interacting. And I realized just how the whole Canadian government system worked. Um, unfortunately, a lot of new... There were people that have kind of lived off the system and, you know had government income and were there to do drugs. That was just reality. But then you also had uh, quite a large segment of that population that was living there, single moms, um, new immigrants to Canada, um, that didn't have a lot of financial means. But actually, um, there were were professionals from where they had come from, whether it was uh, different trade workers. Knew a lot, mm-hmm. and ha- but it was so easy, and I was kind of ashamed of this. It was so easy for me to take on the role of a teacher, right, and to say, okay, hey, uh, I'm right. here to sh-. – but I love that illustration that you had of your friend. Teach me how to make rice, you know, and I right. think that's that, that's really where it all starts is, is right there. Almost out of time. i got to ask you this one question. You, you've written another book, all right, so maybe yeah. we'll get to this another time, but – I need to ask you this question. You know, you wrote uh, a recent book, Christian Martyrdom, um, mm-hmm. and you point out that in, in um, I think there was three things, and correct me if I'm wrong, but in martyrdom, we verbally bear witness to Christ, we raise a prophetic voice, and we worship. So, quick question, <laughs> not a quick question, but um, quick question, maybe a long answer. Um, how has our lack of, say, suffering in recent Western mm-hmm. culture, how, how has that distorted maybe our view of God and what he's doing in the world? Yeah, well, I mean, it's good that we live in a free society, and it's good that we have um, a developed economy, and we live comfortably, and we don't have food shortages and things like that. Um, I will say that in the beginning of COVID in particular, um let's say a month in, the resilience of, of people in my neighborhood, um, people didn't seem to be doing very well um, in their mental and emotional health and um, because they really hadn't suffered and, and they hadn't identified with the suffering servant of Scripture or with so many um, around the world that, that do suffer for their faith. Um, and suffering's never fun. We shouldn't go looking at it, but... But, the, but Paul said that everyone that wants to live a godly life will suffer. Um, in fact, in, in, you know, we have books in America that talk about your best life now. And, and um, you know, and even back in the early 2000s, people were preaching the prayer of Jabez, keep me from pain and things like that, as if that's a paradigm. But, but we are going to have pain. We are going to suffer. Um, we live in a broken, fallen world. 
And so I think that um, hopefully what we're learning through this is some resilience that, um, you know, that, that, that there is hope. Uh, we need to we need to cling to the, the promises in our faith. Um, so, um, uh, but yeah, I think I think um, I think believers from um, North Africa and the Middle East and Asia um, can teach us a lot about um, uh, believers in Haiti, for example, where there are food shortages and where there's a limited healthcare system. Um, there, there's an amazing resilience there that um, that we still have a lot to learn from last question um this podcast is called the monday christian and the reason i put it all brought it all about was i'm passionate about turning sunday belief into monday action uh that's just my passion is is i think that's where the gospel really takes root in our hearts is there's there's i mean we just started coming back to church uh, two weeks ago. I mean, that's Idaho is a little different because we just, you know, we're kind of remote and don't have as many cases here. But we've, you know, limited social distancing and all that. But I love it. Like, like I and I, it's made me realize how much I miss worshiping together. Mm-hmm. Um, but just my passion mm-hmm. is is putting that belief that we learn on Sunday into our everyday lives on Monday. So here's the final question for you: um, What's one belief uh, Western Christians? Um, maybe say is important, right? What's in the Bible? We've we've heard about it, uh, but we need to do a better job of putting that belief into action throughout the week. It's in soul and love our neighbors as ourselves, and we don't. Um, I think the last few weeks have shown us that we that we have very far to go, and that we need God to change our hearts um, in that we and. Um, and so, um, but I think what, you know, love is very concrete, it's tangible. Um, and so um, I think one of the best ways that I can love my neighbors is to listen to them. Um, I struggle as a listener, uh, but I've just been meditating on, I think, James 1.17, uh, if everyone would be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to become angry, um, that if we could um, listen and love and learn, then... Um, then I think we can do uh, we begin to uh, to love our neighbors better, and to um, to witness unto Christ and, and to see the kingdom come. Yeah, I love uh, one of our uh, listeners, Natalie Herring, said so relevant, and I've too been wondering if God could use this quarantine period to help us uh, brain shift into taking our worship and sharing the gospel more from our homes into our neighborhoods. And, and uh, mm-hmm. man, love that. So, Doctor Smith, Amen. man, thank you so much for coming on. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Well, there you have it. And I liked his answer at the end when I asked him, you know, what's something that we need to be putting into practice all throughout the week? And he says, hey, loving God, loving others. I mean, you can't get much more basic to Christian thinking than that. Um, But it's a reality that we sometimes struggle to put into practice and actually uh, a lot of times struggle to put into practice. So here's my encouragement for you this week as you go about and do whatever you're doing. Um, Take that time in the mornings before getting on social media. Take that 15, 20 minutes and just sit and be with God. Like, man, man, just soak it in his presence. Like, enjoy that time. And then find just one, maybe two people throughout the day and pray that God would give you an opportunity to encourage them, to share what he's doing doing in your life with them, and just 
do that. Focus on that balance. If you're feeling frustrated, anxious right now, just focus on those two things, loving God, loving others. I mean, I promise you that's going to make a difference. Well, that does it for the program this week. Next week, this is super cool. I don't know if you've ever heard uh, this kid's program. It's a kid's audio drama, Adventures in Odyssey. I listened to it a lot as a kid growing up, and uh, we're going to have voice actress uh, Katie Lee on the program next week. She plays the voice of Connie Kendall on Adventures in Odyssey and has done a ton of work uh, for various movies, and uh, it's just going to be a fascinating conversation, and she shares really her story of how uh, at first she didn't think she could be a Christian and work in Hollywood and work in all these different fields, but then how God used her passion and the passion that really he had given her um, to make a big difference and impact the lives of so many people. So I think you're going to really enjoy that. That'll be a fun one. If you've got kids and they want to send in a question for Connie Kendall, uh, they can do that. Anyways, my name is Ezra Beyer. Thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to the Monday Christian Podcast, the program that helps you put into action the truth of God's word that you hear on Sunday to your everyday life on Monday. For more info on this program, simply visit our website, themondaychristian.com. That's themondaychristian.com.